coming to a new year and um, what Camille is singing and prophesying is that it is it's a new time, a new day. While God is faithful and never changes, the Bible tells us over and over that he creates new things in us. The old goes and the new comes. A lot of people look at January as that time uh, for new commitments, uh, new goals to get things put together. I want you to know, the original thought behind that is God who offers us new life, new mercies, new grace, new, brand new. And if you need that fresh start, you need that, I guess that reaffirming of what God does in our lives, then I just want to pray over you. Would you put your hand on your heart right now? And Father, we just want to take advantage of the place that we find ourselves at spiritually right this second. God, you're proclaiming over your people. 2019, it's your year. Therefore, it's our year. And Lord, the things that you want and that you've established and that you've said, we agree with those things. We adjust our expectations up, God. Not for business as usual. Not for ambivalence. Not for just same old, same old. But God, we pray right now, the things that you want, that you've purposed, that you've created before the beginning of time, for us. We say yes to those things. God, seal them. Let it be a great day of beginning, Father. I pray that in your name. Amen. 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 Yeah, thank you. You can be seated. Glad that you're here today. Um, You'll need a pen or a pencil, or if you want to use the online version of the U-Notes, Y-O-U, that's great too. Um, and obviously, if you learn best by listening, you're, you're fine just doing that. Uh, before I, I get into um, to the notes, these two things real quick that I'd like to uh, bring to your attention and offer you an opportunity. Um, if you are, uh, you know, that whole idea of um, resolutions and I don't know how much stock you put into that. I like the idea that we try to prioritize and order things in our life. A lot of people are doing it with health. A lot of people are doing it with weight. A lot of people are doing it with finances. I think one of the most important uh, priorities you can make in life is to spiritually say, this is the year I want to see great things happen. And so I know that you take that serious or you wouldn't be here today. And even if you're just visiting, I want to offer an opportunity for you uh, to go deeper, to to build upon the commitment that you want to make. We're intentional about you growing spiritually while you're here. We don't want it to just be where you show up and hear a message and then the rest of your life is lived sort of here and there. We really want you to grow this year. And if you've purposed 2019 as one of the times like, hey, I'm, I want to see my life spiritually just take off and go, I've got a way that might be helpful for you starting next weekend and for four weeks. So there's an easy on and an easy off for this. We want to take the message And we want to go a little bit further in doing groups that will take the message and plant it deeper inside of our lives. So what we have done is to put together a small group based on the message that will go for four weeks. We've got groups that are going to meet all different times, some in the day, some in the evening. We've tried to arrange them where they would maybe fit the place that you find yourself in life like if you have children or you're empty nesters. Uh, if you're single or you want to hang around with a bunch of singles. (laughs) 
If you are uh, in a situation where uh, you've been here for a while or you're brand new, we've put the groups together to accommodate where you might find yourself in life. And so if you're interested and uh, really you have the desire, I want to take it further. I want to be intentional about my spiritual growth. Like you would make a commitment to do something with your health. Here's the truth of the matter. We pray this prayer. Hey, God, do something about this. And I think God speaks back to us. Okay, let's partner together. God is looking for partners in the harvest, not looking for you to sit back as an observer. He wants you to be a participant. And so we've created this idea that uh, if you want to take it deeper, if you're serious about this and you're like, I I really want to see something happen, then I think these groups would be for you. And the reason we're doing it this way, we think that this, uh, this series right off the bat, the first of the year, is an important series about the idea of growth, about who you are and your purpose here on the earth. And so maybe you hear that and you're like, that would have been a great thing right out of college. I agree, but how about this? If you're in your 60s, purpose is a great thing to keep your life going in the right direction, to add excitement to it and to give it meaning. Look, God doesn't want you just to live neatly until you get to death. He wants your life to matter and to count. And I think this is like one of those series that could be a watershed as far as those things happening. JFC.org slash events, jfc.org slash events. And that's how you could sign up if you just want more information and you want to talk to somebody, Pastor Terry, uh, who is over our connections and over groups and over uh, just the whole idea of community. Terry will be out in the foyer. You cannot ask somebody. They'll point him out to you. Um, He'd be happy to answer any question that you have about it. But we'd love for you to join us uh, for this and be a part of it. Uh, And then the only other thing that I have real quick, uh, during December, uh, Pastor Terry, Pastor Jake, Pastor Kate, all had an opportunity to teach. I thought they did fantastic jobs. Uh, Each one of those messages, really good. And I just wanted to publicly um, say something about that and acknowledge that. I'm grateful for the gift, the ministry that they have here in our church. Uh, They certainly make make the load that I carry easier for me, and I just appreciate the ministry that they had. So uh, without any further ado, let's jump in. Um, Here's where the title comes from. We called it Built for Purpose. And what we're going to do over the next four to five weeks is simply use the first two, built for, and then use the next word as what we'll teach about. So today, built for purpose is what it's going to be about. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about built for community. And let me just say this to whet your appetite a little bit, maybe to encourage you just to build up the idea that you'll want to be here for this. When I talk about community, we often say that the truth of the matter is God doesn't want you living your life by yourself. He doesn't want you doing it by yourself. And here, this this is accurate, and I know it to be true. Healing doesn't come in isolation. Healing comes in community. You moving forward in your life will not happen by you trying harder and doing it by yourself. God has created community to help you move forward in life. The thing that keeps us from community and from connecting many times is shame. We all have secrets. Every one of us. Some more so and some less. But the truth of the matter is the enemy works overtime to cause shame to be a thing that disconnects us from being open to being connected. So we're going to deal with that issue and how do you overcome that? And Jesus died to get shame off of your life. But the enemy works overtime to put shame back into our lives. Man, the power of shame is in secrets. God doesn't want you to live your life like that. So really, this series, I really do believe it's not hyperbole. I don't think when I say it's a watershed opportunity, I'm not 
I don't say that about every series, but I do think this is one you can build your life each week on these things and set you in such a good direction. So built for purpose. Um, here's how we did this. In November, I gathered uh, some of the leadership together and the teaching team together, and we went away uh, overnight for a retreat just to talk about the direction for 2019. Um, so the way we make decisions on like the spiritual direction of the church, it doesn't come from just me. Uh, I don't sit in my office, write out edicts, pass it under the door, and then the white smoke goes up to let people know <laughs> that, hey, we've got a direction spiritually for the church. It really is made in community. It's made uh, uh, with the idea that we're all trying to listen for what the Holy Spirit is saying. What, what's, what's the Holy Spirit uh, bearing witness of in our spirits as we, as we make a decision? So when we came up with the idea of teaching on this in 2019 as the first series, we were looking for the title. Sometimes the title can be tougher than what you're talking about. So when we were in Israel, uh, Chris and I uh, had gone back to the hotel, had an earlier afternoon off, and right next to the hotel in Jerusalem is a mall, and we had walked over to the mall to do some shopping for the grandkids real quick, and there was an Adidas store there. And what makes it special uh, outside of an Adidas store in the U.S. is that there are products in Europe and Asia that you just simply can't get in the U.S., and the reason I like that is that if you buy a pair of shoes there, you're the only person here <laughs> that has them. You're not one of a thousand, you're one of one. And I found this shirt, and on the shirt it had the Adidas logo, but it said built for purpose. And it just stood out to me. I thought, man, that's a, that's a tough sentence right there. So I grabbed the shirt, and I had worn it to this retreat that we were doing to talk about 2019, and we're searching for a title. And we had the information, and we really felt like the Holy Spirit was leading us. But I said, what's the title for this? What's the, what's the grab? What, what is it? And I think it was Rebecca Murley who goes, how about built for purpose? I'm like, that's brilliant. Where did you get that? She said, your shirt. Wow. <laughs> so this weekend, whenever I do an opening message, the first one is wide and pretty uh, broad brush, broad stroke as we go week in, week out for the next five weeks. I'll become a little more narrow and in-depth on it. The problem with this is I'll try to grab as many as I can than to take us into the series over the next few weeks. But the problem with doing it really wide is that it's not exhaustive. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a shot at a couple of things. I just want you to know, probably each one of them could have been worthy of a couple of different messages. So if this like stirs up your thoughts, that's why these groups would be good. Because you can take it further. You can ask questions. You can form opinions. Does that make sense? You, you can grow in it. And that's, that's what we hope for you. So just this first one, built for purpose, uh, here's my thought, that God intentionally willed for you to be here or you wouldn't be here. Your life contains something that this generation of people need or you wouldn't be here. Uh, we're taught in an exact opposite philosophy that it's accidental. Uh, the truth of the matter is there are two great philosophies. One is that it's by design and creation, and one is that... The chemicals were in the right place at the right time, and it exploded to bring life. One is on purpose, and one is accidental. If you're a believer, you've chosen to embrace and agree with the idea that God willed for what you see to be in existence today. If you're agnostic or not a believer, 
then you probably are of the idea that all the circumstances were right and it just sort of happened. You know what's weird about that? Just two things. One, uh, the idea that from chaos comes order is exactly the opposite of the laws that the universe are run on. You cannot get order out of chaos. From order comes chaos, but not from chaos order. It doesn't work that way. But really, this is true. If you find yourself as a person who believes it was all accidental, so you've got one foot in that place in life, I don't believe any of it was by design. I don't believe any of it is on purpose. It just sort of happened, and it's really cool that it happened, but there's no real great design behind it. Then let me just say, uh, this is a duplicitous thought to think. If you believe it's all accident and random, and yet in your life you want it to have meaning and purpose, do you realize the duplicity of having one foot in the idea that it's accidental and one foot with the idea that there's meaning behind it. You can't have it both ways. It's either all accidental or it's all on purpose, but there's no middle on that thing. And sometimes in our minds, we're duplicitous in our thinking that it's accidental and yet I want meaning. Think about that for a minute. So when I make the next statement that everything that you see and who you are, your personality, the number of hair on your head or not, all of those things, the Bible tells us God knows and God willed and God planned. Uh, Terry, when he taught a few weeks ago, he had this interesting illustration. He was talking uh, about putting together a project, and he said how critical it is to read the directions when you're putting together. Anybody in here think they can do it without reading the directions? <laughs> I've done that. Uh, this is illegal now, but it wasn't uh, when we first were having kids. They had a crib. Um, the benefit of the kind of crib, you can't, they're illegal now, but at the time, the crib could, the front could be lowered to get the baby out, and then you could raise it to keep the baby in. But now, and I get it, I think it's true, they say that the baby's head could get caught in it, so they quit making that, but we had that kind of crib, and it was nice. To be honest, it was nice. But here was the problem. Every time we moved, it would have to be taken apart, and there were 10,000 screws in that thing. And I had lost the directions early on. In fact, I think I opened the box and threw them away because I know how to do those things. <laughs> and you'd put the whole crib together, and at the very last step was to be able to push and lower the crib, and you didn't know if you had it right or wrong until the very last step. And every time, I think at least a half dozen times that I took it apart and put it together, every time I would make that critical mistake of putting it on backwards. <laughs> oh, I'd be so frustrated. How could somebody invent such an idiot product? <laughs> Terry made the point of how important it is to read the directions. And with that in mind, real quickly, if you are created, and if you are by design, then the creator of the project would put together a manual that by design would begin here and end here. And if you put it together right, it makes it work. And if you put it together wrong, you have trouble. So if God's the creator and you're the creation, then the Bible is the instructions. And you can't skip you need to start at the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I bet you know it. In the beginning, God created. I think this is important. I think it's necessary. I think it's something to consider. That of all the things, all the statements that God could have made, uh, the very first thing that he says is to order the importance of creation. In the beginning, God created. Nothing is surprising to God. Nothing is accidental with God. Nothing is happenstance with God. Everything was on purpose. 
your life has meaning and value simply because God designed you. Think about it. The very first words spoken in the directions are, in the beginning, God created. He created it. When you read the directions from the beginning, it tends to make more sense. Uh, Maybe one of my favorite verses, the book of Jeremiah 29, verse 11, says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. If you use the word creation and plans, it gives us the idea that nothing is accidental. God created it, and he has a plan and a purpose for it. Your life has meaning and value, and you don't exist for biological reasons only. You're here because God willed you to be here. Uh, I hadn't said this in any of the other services, and when I was downstairs in between the services, we, we pray, asking God, if you want to change anything, if you want the direction to go in a different direction, I want to make myself available. To, I don't want to just do what I did before. And I felt like the Lord put this in my mind, and I didn't say it in the other services, so I just want to say it here. Maybe it's for somebody. One of the greatest responsibilities and opportunities and joys that a parent can have is to teach their children early on that they exist for a purpose. Look at me. If you abdicate that place in your child's life, don't think for a moment that the world will be neutral about it. The world will constantly be trying to tell them who they are, what they are, and what they should do. And it's your responsibility. Man, win that battle right there. Win that battle. It's an important one. In the beginning, God created, and I know the plans that I have for you. They speak of purpose, direction, and nothing being accidental. I really only have two points here. Again, they're not going to be exhaustive. I wish that they were. Perhaps it's going to create more questions than it will explanations, but maybe that's where the groups could become important for you. So the first one, if you've got your pen or pencil or your online, created for dominion. It's a blanket statement, but real quickly, this is all of creation, not just believers. All of creation, all of humanity, I know for sure these two things God created us for. The first one, dominion. It's an old-fashioned word. We don't use it anymore. I don't think there's many people who woke up uh, Friday morning and said, hey, I'm headed out for dominion. (laughs) It's an old word. It's a, a bypassed word. But we do use this word, which connects to it, success, winning, doing well, Overcoming, all of those things have its idea and they're rooted in the word dominion. If Genesis chapter 1 is the beginning of the direction and if verse 1 says in the beginning God created, just a few verses later it tells us what we were created for. Now it becomes personal with what we do in life, but overall, man, I can tell you, you were created for this right here. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let, what's that word right there? Let's try this again, and you speak out loud. Your mouth opens, words come out. And let them, not him or her, but them. So it's God putting equality between the sexes, and let them have dominion. You see it? Dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, look at it again, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have, what's the word? Dominion Dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Dominion. 
I can tell you for sure that one of the common denominators of all humanity is that God wants you to walk, understand, and be a person of dominion. But what is dominion? Probably the most misunderstood word today. If I asked a person, what is dominion? They would come up with this word, domination. To dominate. God did not command, commit, or commission you to dominate, but to have dominion. There's a tremendous difference between the two. Dominate means to be the largest, the most important, or the most notable part of something. God did not call you to be the biggest. Thank God. He did not call you to be the best, to be the loudest, to be the jewel, to be the most important. That is not what dominion is. That's domination. And so many people today think that the way to get ahead, the way to win, the way to go forward, the way to have meaning is to be better than everybody, to do what it takes to be number one. And we have a paradoxical kingdom as believers. Here's what Jesus taught. The first will be, and the greatest will be the least. Gosh, that runs contrary to the idea of domination, yes or no. It's a paradoxical kingdom that to be first, you have to be last. To be the greatest, be the servant. It just doesn't make sense. But in God's kingdom, it works the opposite of the world. So God didn't call you to dominate, but to have dominion. Here's what dominion means. Dominion means to exercise authority that's been given you. So God's put us on this earth to walk in his authority. Everything that you see, everything that you have influence over, everything that you enjoy or that you're a part of belongs to God. Your marriage is His. Your children are His. Your money is His. I'm going to say this one more time. It's a good place to say amen. Your marriage is His. Your money is His. Your time is His. Your body is His. Everything on this earth belongs to God and you were put here to walk in his authority with, in other words, you get to control it, but when you're done, you give it back to him. So what you do with it matters. I know this is a movie. What I'm about to say, I know it's a movie. You don't need to email me and tell me, pastor, that's a movie. I like the movie Gladiator. Thank you for the chuckles that I got out there. You big sinner. Yeah, okay. The gladiator makes this statement in the movie. What we do on earth echoes. And very, uh, see? It echoes in eternity. Real quickly. I know it's a movie, but the statement doesn't belong to the movie. The statement is true of what the Bible tells us. What we do here and now matters then and there. It matters. And you've been given dominion. And so many times we abdicate the position of dominion. We're not out there doing what God called us to do. Jesus said, occupy until I return. Exercise authority. Uh, let me, let me, maybe this is a better way to explain it to you. Um, the Lord's Prayer. Okay, familiar prayer. So even if like you hear this message and you're agnostic, or, or maybe you just simply don't believe in anything, you, you probably have heard the Lord's Prayer. Like my kids were growing up, my twins, my youngest they played sports, and they had a coach. He, he, um, he was a typical coach. He, he was a motivator of people, uh, a yeller of men. <laughs> he was, uh, was one of those guys. I don't think he was a believer. I, I mean, I don't know his heart, but just based on the conversations and the things that he said, I don't think he was a believer, but he was a moral person. So he'd have the boys uh, prior to a game do the Lord's Prayer together. You know the Lord's Prayer. 
Our Father. Slow down just, just a little bit. Hallowed be thy name. Um, the context is that the disciples who walked with Jesus said to him, teach us to pray. And they could have said, teach us to do miracles, which Jesus did incredible miracles. They could have said, uh, teach us how you do what you do and understand what you understand. All of those things. But they asked him, there must have been something in the way Jesus prayed that was powerful to ask that question. So Jesus then gives them the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. By the way, that prayer is not a memorization. The power is not in memorization. The power is understanding that it's a model for how to pray. An understanding of what prayer should, where our mind should be when we pray. Our Father who art in heaven, how respectful and awesome your name is. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Real quickly, how does God's will get done on the earth? Many times, here's our prayer. God, don't you see what's going on in the world? Don't you see what's happening in China today and in Iran? Do you see what's going on in Washington? Do you see what's happening, Father God, in the division that's going on in our country and in our world. God, don't you see and don't you care? God, do something about There's our prayer. Do something about it. And I wonder if God is trying to say to us, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth. Get involved with me. Don't sit here and say, God, do something about it. God is looking for partners in a harvest. So that when we pray, if we get the idea of dominion, dominion gives us the authority and the activity to do something about what we see. Not to just say, hey, God, do this when you get around it. Or, God, don't you care? Jesus, come on, we're drowning. Here's what we're supposed to do. Be involved. Commit yourself. To Life's meaning is found in dominion. Not domination, but dominion. Your marriage. To walk in dominion in your marriage. What should your marriage look like? If you don't know the answer to that question, then you're not sure what God's will is in heaven. And if you don't know what his will is, how do you operate here? Your number one thing is to figure out what God wants and then do that thing. Amen. What should your relationship with your kids look like? What's God's will? Know his will and do that thing. What should it look like with your finances? What's his will? Know his will. Do that thing. Don't just pray, God, we treat God sometimes like he's a fairy godfather with a big wand. God, show up and boink my situation. Ring. God, help my finances. And what we really mean is when I open the trunk, let me find money in it. God, change my relationships. And here's what we mean by that. God, do something with them. Come on. Your church is part of his creation. You have dominion in this church. Now we can operate in authority and call. Your job is not to get yourself to heaven. That's Jesus' job. But your job is to bring heaven to earth. Amen. Now that's cliche, but it's true. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your job is not to get yourself to heaven, but is to bring heaven to earth. If we took that literally and seriously, 
Man. Uh, here's the thing, though. When I say that, people, it, it's such a, 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 big, uh, a big bite to swallow, man. How, do you, how can we change? How, how does, here, you know, if you don't do the small things, the big things will never happen. People pray in their way, God, give me the opportunity and I'll get it. Here's the thing. If you don't do it, what you are today is what you would be when the opportunity presented itself. So if you're not doing it today in the small, you'll never get the opportunity for the big. Does that make sense? It's like if we're not doing it in this relationship on earth, how are we going to do it in the bigger with our neighbors? Hmm. Dominion. Another word for it is to be stewards. You were created to be stewards of creation. Somehow, the idea of being a steward over creation has been politicized. If you care about the earth, then it makes you this politically. How silly is that? God, the truth of the matter is, everything in this earth belongs to God, including the earth, and what we do with it matters to Him. It has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with the understanding that you are in a kingdom that serves a king. You're not the king. You're not the queen. You're in the kingdom that serves the king. That makes sense? It all belongs to him, and what we do with it matters. You're not an observer. You're a participant, and God works through us. Here, here's an illustration. Uh, I have the title senior leader, lead pastor. But with me on staff are a lot of different pastors that do different things. If their attitude was, Pastor, do you see what's going on with our teenagers? Do you see what's going on with the kids? Do you see what's going on with the building? Do you see what's going on with missions? Do you see what's going on with finance? Pastor, why don't you do something about those things? How fruitless would it be for them to stand around and encourage me to do something? And yet, that's what we do with God. We see it, we're a part of the kingdom, but we tell, God, don't you see? You're here on purpose to see and do something about it. You'll never outgrow this, outpace this. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's yours. We wait for the big thing and ignore the little things. I, this is going to be silly. You're probably going to say, oh, that doesn't matter. What, Pastor, you are delusional. You're fooling yourself. It doesn't matter. I, it, and it's not to make me seem like something, but I get the prince. Look at me. What I have in my hands today all of the people, all of the ministry. God didn't just hand this to me. He was being faithful when it was five people. Being faithful with the little that he gave me that allowed him to give me more authority and bigger things. It was being this way in private when it was nothing. That gives me the authority to stand when it's something. But in all of life, that's true. Here, here, uh, the Bible says in Corinthians, there are 12 spiritual gifts. I think there's a 13th and Paul left it out. It's the gift of criticism. And I'm a great critic, man. I love to complain about things that need to change. Anybody else like that? Did you marry somebody like, okay, whatever. I, I, I am so good at that. So here's a pet peeve from, is it cold? Freezing? Well, no, I'm not asking you if you love me. Are you, are you, you're always cold. Is it cold in here? Comfortable? Where, where are we at? Here's on. You want me to turn the air off? Forget, never mind. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. 
Oh my goodness. You know, if you have Christians and there's two of them in a room and you ask for opinions, you'll get three. So there we, <laughs> there we go right there. Okay. Um, <laughs> going to a supermarket, this is a pet peeve. When people take the basket, load their groceries and just leave it there. Drives me crazy. And then the people who think they're doing good push it to the front of the space. Like, hey, I'm really helping. Now you can't get your car in all the way. And you gotta, you know, I've even tried the thing to bump it gently into the next lane over and let somebody else worry about it right there. And I would just be so mad and so upset. And I know, I know, it's, Pastor, it's just, who cares? It's just, come on. Oh, it would just drive me crazy. Little things to the big things. To see yourself, look at me, as a person of excellence in everything, not just the big thing. So what you are today is what you will be if the opportunity... If what you are today is unfaithful, you'll never even see the opportunity. It's being faithful even in the little things. I'd be so good at complaining about that. One day I felt the Lord tell me, do something about it. Ah, I'll go talk to the manager. <laughs> You're getting it. Come on. I feel the Lord challenge me. Move them yourself. Put them back. I don't want to give you the wrong idea. I don't pull up at Safeway and walk all over the parking lot. <laughs> but if there's a basket in that lane, I don't just move it to the side. I go put it in the pen corral. Why would you do something like that? Because we're people of excellence. What we do matters. And if you don't get it in the little thing that you think is insignificant, you'll never have opportunity for the big thing. It's a principle in scripture I'll show you in just a second. If it aggravates you, why? And if you think it's insignificant, maybe ask yourself how engaged and how much you really feel like your life has purpose because we find it when we do in obedience what God tells us to do. It really is that simple. Just doing the little things. Man, another one <laughs> is people that just chuck garbage on the ground. Oh, that drives me nuts. And I was great at stepping over it while complaining about it. Man, people were born in a barn. How can somebody live that way while stepping right over it, going about my way? And the Lord's just challenging me, pick it up. Just pick it up. Yesterday, I've got a standing appointment with a friend of mine for coffee Saturday mornings. I pulled into Starbucks yesterday, and I got one of those spaces that was up front that says short term. That's a relative term. <laughs> What is that? We can debate it all day long. For me, it's however long I need in that particular store. So I pull up. I get one of those front parking spaces. I was so thankful for that, man. And I get out. Sure enough, it's one of those Trente, not Vente, Trente plastic, humongous. You could fit Chatfield inside of that cup. And it's just laying there. Somebody had stepped on it. The lid and the straw. Just, oh. And right at that same time, uh, a person pulls up next to me, and a guy gets out of the car. And um, I, so I'm like, oh, I'm not. The guy's going to think, what a little girl you are. So I, like, step over it. Sorry. That's, I'm 55. It's a generational problem. So I step over it, and I felt like the Lord said, turn around and pick. So I went back, and I picked it up, just walked over to the trash can and dropped it in. And the guy goes, thank you pastor 
And it's insignificant. And in the scheme of things, it's nothing. Except for in the scheme of things, it's everything. It's as great as just saying it's not somebody else's problem and it's not somebody else's responsibility. And if you're going to do the big thing, you'll never do the big unless you get the small. You'll never be great unless you're a servant. You'll never go first unless you're last. And that's Jesus talking. That's not pastor's opinion. It's the kingdom of God. Hmm. Under A and B, the earth and everything in it belong to God. Do you believe that? Uh, in Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes these words quoting from the Psalms. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If you get dominion and that you're part of his kingdom and it all belongs to him, how about this? Let, let me get serious for a second. You might think this is like uh, optional and not that big of a deal, but the truth of the matter is what you've been given in every area you're a steward of, and at some point when you stand before God, if you're a believer, you will not be judged for heaven and hell, but you will be judged for what you did with what he put in your hands. Not just the big things, but even the little things. Let's be serious for a second. And there are very important words on that day that you want to hear. So while the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, this is even a greater thing to embrace. That as a steward of God, he puts into your hand, the Bible calls them talents or treasures. And it's not just referring to money, although that is part of it. It's whatever you have influence over. Does that make sense? Let me, Jesus taught this. Matthew 25, 20 through 21. The man who had received five bags of gold or... In some translation, it says talents. The man who would receive five bags of gold or five talents brought to the master five more. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. I've doubled. I did something with what you gave me. I took it seriously. I was involved. I made a difference. His master replied, here's the words that you want to hear. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant or steward. You have been faithful with, what's the word? A few things. I will put you in charge of Come and share your master's happiness. By the way, the context of this is the end of this guy's life, not the beginning of his life. Take this, take this seriously. Don't skip around this. Don't undo this. Don't turn away from this. Don't think it's for somebody else. It's for you. It's for me. It's for us. The Lord keeps great records, and that's good news, not bad news. And if you're a believer, this isn't the end of your life, heaven and hell. It's Jesus' job to get you to heaven, but it was your job to bring heaven to earth. And we'll be asked about that and rewarded for that. And hey, hey, real quick, listen to me. You want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You want to hear those words. Those words will be magnetic, powerful, and will be all that matter to you at that moment in time. And when you hear them, look around for a little pastor someplace <laughs> and say thanks for telling me about this because it matters. It really matters. 
Again, it's not exhaustive. There's so much more to teach on, and I'm taking one slice and stab at it, and it's just so much more to know and be known. This is a joyful thing. It's not a heavy thing. It's not a, not a thing of like, oh, it's too much weight. It's a joyful thing to be a part of the kingdom serving the king. Here's the second one real quick. This probably in order of preeminence and in order of importance. While it's true, we are all called as creation to walk in dominion, to carry his authority and to operate on his behalf. This one is probably the most important thing to build your life on. Not just for when you first have a relationship with God, but it's the thing that keeps the relationship the right priority and always going in the right direction. You were created to know and be known by God. Don't, hey, don't let this be like a rock on a still lake that just skips over and you're like, oh, that's, let this dig inside of you. You are created to be known and know God. If Genesis is the first book of instruction in the third chapter, we read this really cool story about how God interacted with his creation, the man and the woman. And by proxy, this is how God wants to interact with you. It's how he wants you to understand him. But it tells the story of God coming to reach out to his creation and his creation having rejected what he told them to do, they turn their back and it messes up the relationship. Just look at the story. The man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Real quickly, here's what it's saying. They didn't see him, they heard him at first. And if they heard him and recognized it was him, this is not the first time. What it's telling us is this is God's normal way of interacting with his creation. That every day he wants to come and fellowship with you. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants to call you to himself and he wants to give himself to you. This is the good news. Jesus didn't die just so you could go to heaven. He died so you could have a relationship with the Father. Jesus was asked this question in John 17. What is eternal life? He didn't say heaven. He said eternal life is that they would know you, the one true God and your son whom you've sent. Heaven is a relationship that we have with Jesus that starts here and it's lived out there forever. Oh, it's the most... The problem of preaching is that you know at some level it's not enough to get people to get it. There's things you can know here in your, your brain, but you've got to get them in your heart. And Paul says, I wish you could come to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? Because not everything can be known just with your brain. It has to be known with your heart. You must experience how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, and that that'll never change. The whole relationship with God is not about what you do. It's who you are. And who you are because of him. Ah, To know and be known. So the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and then they do this ridiculous thing. They hid from the Lord God. The first time they ever responded to God this way, they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called out to the man, where are you? I've said this before. Listen, if God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't have the knowledge. It's because he wants you to know where you are. Their response up until this place is when they've heard God, they've run to God. Now that sin has entered the picture and shame has become their identity, they hide from God. And the number one problem that mankind today is dealing with is that when God calls us, we're afraid. So we hide and we'll use religion or excuses or even to claim he's not there 
so that we don't have to deal with the issue of intimacy with God. And he's calling you today to be intimate with him, to be face-to-face, heart-to-heart, and to know him. And church is not good till you know Jesus. And children that grow up in religion will not serve him later on unless they experience his goodness, not his commandments. I just said something really good to you. Really powerful and a mystery of the kingdom. If your children are only being exposed to the commandments of God, they will throw it off of their lives when they become adults because it's not the commandments that hold a person in place. It's love. Do you understand what I'm saying? Love. To know him and be known by him. Ah. Okay, I'm out of time. and I get, I need. The ministry of reconciliation. It's in your notes. The ministry of reconciliation. So we're created... For dominion, we're created to know and be known. And that's why I'm going to phrase it, this, the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is a really wonderful scripture. If you're a believer, memorize this portion of scripture right here. Look at what this says. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Remember, we're talking about God's always renewing it. The new has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Emphatically, it's here. And all of this is from God, not from a man who, here's the first time it says it. What's that word? Who? It's going to say it five times. If, something, if God says something five times, it must be important. So all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of? Second time, here we go. That God was, third time, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins. How good is it that God's not counting your sins against you? Like if you really get that you're a sinner... then this is super good news. And he has committed to us the message of? This is our message to the world that God wants to reconcile us. We are therefore Christ's ambassador as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be the fifth time in three verses that God is trying to get us to understand reconciliation. I'm not a English major. I did not have a minor or a major in that. I'm not great at it. I know you're like, duh, pastor. We hear it every weekend. Okay, I get it. But I do know enough to know this, that when you take the two letters, re, R-E, and you put it in front of a word, it means to do it over again. Recommit, reaffirm, redo. You're doing it over again. Okay, real quickly. So at one point, we were consiled, and now God's calling us to be reconciled. When were we consiled? The last time in the garden before the fall of man. Can you put, just put this together. The whole work of Jesus is to put back what God created in the first place. He created you to be known and to know him. And it's really simplistic and there's a lot that flows out from it. Your career and who you love and where you live and what you do. All those things can flow from the foundation of know and being known. But if you get this, if you get this relationship right and keep it right, it makes everything this way so much easier. Because if you don't get purpose this way, you try to get purpose this way. And it's empty. It might satisfy you for a moment, but you'll need more to get back there. You'll need more money, more of whatever. It's the law of diminishing returns. The only thing that'll satisfy you, really satisfy you, is the hole in your heart that only God can fit in. I'm I'm way past. Um, uh, Ecclesiastes. 
You know what it means when I close my notes? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> now it's hot. It's hot in here. Um, Ecclesiastes says, God put eternity in the hearts of all people. The proof of that is that it's not an animal, a plant, or a tree that ever asks the question, does God exist? They never ask eternal questions. Only humanity asks eternal questions, yes or no. Now, sometimes we make the wrong decision. He doesn't exist, or if he does exist, he doesn't care. And if he is real, he's not close. But you at least asked the question, didn't you? Of whether or not there is an afterlife and there is a God. And if it does have a purpose, why? It's not because your brain gets philosophical. It's because the fingerprint of God in every human is to wonder, is there more to life than just this right here? And we don't always answer it the same way. But the proof that God did what he said, that he put eternity inside all of us, is that we would even contemplate whether or not there is eternity. When you get this, oh, the power of answering that question the right way, that it matters, that it's on purpose, that God's done something so wonderful, instead of just existing, living neatly until you get to death, just achieve, life takes on the importance of the people around you and what has been put into your hands. When I had the heart attack a couple of years ago, I had fallen into the trap of just, I was busy and I was under it and I was stressed and I was just surviving. And on the outside, people would say, oh, you're doing so much. But on the inside, I just felt so pushed all the time and asking myself, is this, this is what my life amounted to? This was it. It's so easy to fall into that trap of just existing. You've got to come back to the purpose. Having the heart attack suddenly pulled the veil off of my eyes of how precious life is, of how fast it goes by, of the thin thread that holds us to each other in this life. And you think it's a thick rope, and all it takes is, and it's gone. And then it ends right there, and what you've done is frozen for eternity. So I'm talking to the living, not the dead. Amen. It matters. Remove the veil from your eyes. Get it out from in front of you and recognize how critical. It's a watershed moment to say, God, it matters. Amen. Do not live ambivalent. You know, the one thing, the last book of the Bible, the first was Genesis. The end of the instructions, Revelation. And Jesus makes this statement. I stand at the door and I knock and I knock and I knock. And if anybody will hear me and open the door, I'll come in and we'll fellowship. We'll be together. It's all through the Bible, what he wants. And then Jesus a little bit further says this, talking to churches. You do all of these awesome things and I'm so proud of you and I commend you. But this one thing, I've got to tell you, this one thing is messing everything up. You have lost your first love. Your passion for me has become dormant. I wish you were hot. I wish you were cold. But somehow you become ambivalent and he curses it. I'd spit it out of my mouth if I could. And so now I'm talking to you very seriously as a pastor who has care of your soul. Look at me. Live no longer ambivalent. 
Do not be just okay with this message. Do not just tolerate me. Do not push yourself and turn your face and say it doesn't. It matters. Do not be ambivalent any longer. And don't be cold. Be red hot. And if you find yourself in a place where you're just like, ah, ah, good for you. That's ambivalence. Now, pastor, I'm glad you found your way, but you know, I just can't be like that. You don't need to be like this, but you do need to have a passion in here. If you're going to serve God, be all in. Don't put one foot over here and one foot here and then ride down the middle. That is the definition of a life in a rut. The meaning and the purpose, it's way out there instead of lived right here. If I come across as pushy, because I am. <laughs> I'm trying to provoke and pull and plead. Paul uses the words in that Corinthian scripture. I beg you to be reconciled to Christ. I beg you. I'm not saying to come into a relationship. I beg you to come into the right relationship. The passionate, full, all the way in, on fire for Jesus. And if you're like, ah, ah, then ask God. Fan it into flame inside of me and help me. But don't be ambivalent. Father, uh, nothing more I can say on that. And I guess to go any further, God would just begin to put flesh in place of the Spirit. Hey guys, I was thinking about this. You know, when it comes to the outer man, the flesh, we feed him three times a day at minimum seven days a week, 365 days a year for our entire life. But when it comes to the inner man, our spirit, which Paul tells us to be strengthened in, we feed our inner man sometimes once a week for an hour and 15 minutes. And then we wonder why we're ambivalent, we're not passionate, why there's other priorities that are so much more important. This is a priority, but listen, God doesn't want to be second or third place he wants to be first place in your life. And while he'll never force himself, he wants from you. It's not optional. Make him the Lord of your life all the way in. If what I say today, you find yourself, gosh, I, I would have to say I am somewhat ambivalent. Somewhere in the middle. I'm not cold to those things, but I'm really not hot for those things. I'm somewhere in the middle. The enemy has done a good job of disengaging your heart from the passion that the Father offers. And when we find ourselves in that place, cursing about it, throwing a fit about it, ignoring it, walking away from it, that's not the answer. It's to say, God, help me. His delight is to come to your aid. The Bible says that when we ask according to his will, we know that we have what we've asked for. It's his will that you be hot. On fire for him. I bet it's probably more difficult for a person who finds themselves in the middle of life than at the beginning or the end to make that decision. But maybe that's when it's most critical. 
God, help me. See, even pastors that listen to this message today, we think because we do this vocationally, that that's the passion. That's not the passion. That's what you do. It's not who you are. Who are you? Why are you created and what does he want from you? Oh, contemplate that and let it stir you up and take hold of God. Father, don't leave us to our own devices, to our own places. Look, it's okay to not be okay, but God doesn't want to leave you that way. God, help us. God, fill us. God, change us. God, connect us. God, engage us. God, have all of us. Thank you for hearing us. Have mercy. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to me.